0: Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself. I'm Paul Jay. This is The Real News Network. Thomas Frank, in his book Listen Liberal*, wrote, Democrats have fancied themselves as the party of the people since the beginning, squaring off against what they love to caricature as the party of the highborn. This populist brand positioning has served them well on many occasions, as Mitt Romney can no doubt attest. On other occasions, it has had about as much to do with reality as the theory that the moon is made of green play-doh. After all, the party of the people was also once the party of slavery and the party of the Klan. Now joining us in the studio is Thomas Frank. Thanks for joining us again, Thomas.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Paul.
0: So one more time, Thomas is a political analyst, a historian, he writes for The Guardian. His most recent books include What's the Matter with Kansas and the most recent Listen Liberal. Thanks for joining us.
1: Sure thing, Paul.
0: So, Over the course of these discussions, and if you haven't watched the earlier segments, I I, I suggest you do because it kind of sets all this up. And we've talked about the Democratic Party as as a class party or class-is party, perhaps. I mean, you do have working class representation there. And the unions, for better or worse, do represent sections of the workers, although certainly a a, a real minority of the workers now are. Yeah. um, And certainly the urban workers mostly vote Democrat. Um, the, uh, but but the, this meritocracy you talk in the book, the sort of higher end of the professional class, and much of whom manage the political system on behalf of a section of the billionaires and so on. Um, but that's what the party is. Um, I, I mean, in, in my view, I don't think the party's really been, even including Roosevelt, the, all that much other than that in terms of class composition. But the balance of forces were very different. The yes. unions had more clout. There was a mass movement. Uh, frankly, the, the, you know, whether whatever the Soviet Union actually was, there actually was an alternative system, at least in people's minds. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world that made this dynamic between this professional class, the elites, and the system different back then as now. Um, but it is what it is now, which it is a Clinton-esque party now, uh, when the, even the most minor uh, fights by the Sanders camp, and with, at a time when Bernie Sanders is by far the most popular politician in the country, by what, like seventy percent approval ratings or something, he can't even get his guy elected chair of the DNC. They can't get uh, the chair of the Democratic Party. And apparently, when 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 they were having the election for chair of the DNC.
1: Obama's working the phones yeah.
0: to get Perez elected yeah. and, and, and fighting to keep we,
1: corporate Democrats in power. That's right. You've got to remember one thing about the centrist uh, faction of the Democratic Party, which is that they absolutely hate the left, hate them. It's not like, well, we'll compromise with these people and uh, you know, because we're both in the same party and we, all, we, you know, we sink or swim together. No, they hate these guys.
0: And, and do they hate these guys? because it's in their interest to hate these guys, and or because they think they're naive. They're, there's a lot they're lot of making contempt. demands that's, that are no, not That's not exactly possible. right. They're there's there's not lo- the realists.
1: Exactly. And there's a, there's a certain amount of contempt whenever they are moved to talk about people on the left. I mean, Rahm Emanuel uh, brought him up now three times. Rahm Emanuel is a perfect example of this. Uh, But there's uh, many examples. Remember the Democratic Leadership Council, which Bill Clinton came out of, was set up uh, deliberately to uh, uh, sort of diminish the power of the left uh, wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, And you know they succeeded. And if you go back and look at the things that they, in their heyday, said about the left wing of the Democratic Party, it was just utterly you know, con- filled with contempt. Well, let me it's, make, it's not let me, that you know, we need to compromise these people, it's like these people need to go away. Well, let me make their argument
0: because I, 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 I'm speculating this is how they feel about it. That the right wing of the American elites are essentially fascist. Um, the, they, they've been able to win over with cultural wars, sections of the working class, and, the, and they are barbarians at the gate.
1: No, they're here and they're in well, the gate. <laughs> yeah.
0: talking Obama years. Yeah, I yeah, mean, they okay. kind of—they're through the gate now. Yeah. But and they have been for in many state legislatures in Congress. But at any rate, barbarians at the gate. Give yeah, me the give yeah, me the metaphor. Okay. And uh, and you need you can't fight them with your naive approach like a Bernie Sanders that you're going to have health care for yes. all and all this. You need us because we actually understand that America is essentially conservative, likes this kind of militarist strength, and likes cops and all that. And if you don't have us playing that card, you're going to be dealing with the real
1: fascists. Yeah. Unfortunately, America also. Unfortunately for them, America also has a uh, has a radical tradition. I mean, this is you know, it's deep in the American grain. Our hatred of aristocracy, our hatred of hierarchy, our deep, deep faith in the common people. At least where I come from, the part of America that I come from, that is who we are as a people, Uh, and the Democratic Party needs to needs to understand that. The other thing that the Democratic Party, and this is, by the way, you, you touch on so many interesting points when you bring this up, because we have to remember one thing about the Clinton faction, and these are the people who just lost the election now, okay? They got to do everything their way, they didn't even put Bernie on the ticket, and they lost. They did everything their way and they lost. This is the victory faction in the Democratic Party. This is the faction of the Democratic Party that, uh, that rose to power saying, oh, look at Carter, look at McGovern, look at Walter Mondale, these losers. You know, liberals, oh my God, liberals are so bad, liberals can't win a damn thing. You need, to put the, uh, you need to put the professionals in charge, you need to put the people that understand politics and that are willing to, what was Clinton's term, triangulate, You know, to, to cut deals with the right wing, to even enact Republican legislation. That's how you win. And so for them, the entire purpose of this faction of the Democratic Party is victory. That's what Clinton was all about. Remember all the compromises that we, they weren't compromises, all the things that Clinton got done as president, which were all Republican measures. The whole point of those was to get Clinton reelected. And the main Andy Sanders argument was, I can win and he can't. Well, they lost. <laughs> they lost. And they cheated well, they, in order because, to lose. That's They cheated of, Sanders that's in because, order to lose. Oh, they
0: only lost because of Putin. They would have won otherwise.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that's, that is, we need to keep that in mind going forward because that's what centri- democratic centrism, that's their trump card. We win elections. They don't win. The Democrats are in a state of, I mean, by the way, the the centrist faction has controlled the party for a long time now. They are in a state of wipeout across this country, worse than I have ever seen in my lifetime, going back to the 1920s. And this is the work of the victory faction in the Democratic Party. Clearly there's something wrong with their, their, you know, their victory strategy.
0: It seems to me Sanders' campaign exploded two fundamental pillars of this faction, the victory faction, the Clinton faction. Uh, Number one, he exploded that you need billionaire money to campaign. and I don't think this whole political system was ever created in a way that you could raise so much money on the internet. It's
1: just changed the scenario. Yes, that's huge. But that's also Trump. Hillary outraised Donald Trump two to one. And Trump is a billionaire, and Hillary outspent Trump two to one. I was at the Democratic convention, you know, where they 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 cut all these deals with the various corporate sponsors. I mean, the appeal to corporate America and to Wall Street was overt, and especially Silicon Valley. They had an Uber, they had a deal with Uber at the Democratic convention, and Big Pharma, and all of this stuff. And and they, uh, and with that, by the way, this was the logic of Clintonism. We can't be a national party. We can't contest national elections unless we can raise uh, as much as the Republicans. We can match them dollar for dollar in fundraising. That's what Clintonism was all about. We will sacrifice the tradition of the Democratic Party. We will sacrifice liberal issues. We will sacrifice progressivism itself on the altar of fundraising because we've got to have that money to make those TV commercials, to compete with the Republicans, well, they sure as hell did it this time. She outraised Trump two to one, and lost. She sacrificed every principle. She had the neocons at her convention, as I mentioned. Far, you know, uh, uh, Uber, big pharma, Wall Street. Everybody is getting what they want out of Hillary Clinton. She still lost. This is extraordinary. What happened this last
0: year? And then, then the second pillar, which I think Sanders has greatly shaken, at least. Is one of the cores of this meritocracy was was very uh, what's the word militant anti-communism, anti-socialism.
1: Yeah,
0: and you know we'll be as hawkish on that as the Republicans ever yeah. could be.
1: And this guy, guy comes around him. running as a socialist and practically beats her. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's it's funny, but uh, you know I often I wrote a story for uh, Harper's last year about the Washington Post and its war on Bernie Sanders, and I read every. Uh, Op ed and editorial they ran from January to June of 2016 that mentioned Bernie Sanders and uh, counted them, you know, pro and con. They were five to one against him. They really disliked this guy, really profoundly disliked uh, this guy. And I tried to understand why they disliked him so much. Uh, and a big part of it was uh, who he is uh, and that he would call himself a socialist and things like that. But there's also this element where What Sanders represented to The Washington Post and I think also to mainstream uh, Democrats was a return of the repressed. The, the, the sort of grand story of Clintonism is uh, this new generation coming up out of the 1960s and saying we are. This is the end of the New Deal. The New Deal ends right now, and there are all of these stories written about this in the 70s and 80s. And Bill Clinton, that was that was the narrative of Bill Clinton's administration. He is killing off the New Deal. And by, by the way, when I say that, I mean uh, in books and articles written by his admirers not by people who are criticizing him like me, by his fans. Yeah, They're like, the Bill dead. Clinton has finally delivered us from the dead end of the New Deal. Where here, here comes Sanders, and who's his favorite president? It's Franklin Roosevelt. What's his, like, his, his political agenda? It looks like the Democratic platform circa 1948. It's basically the same thing. That's, that's who he is. He is a return of that, uh, that Democratic tradition that this this current generation this ruling generation of you know professional elites think that they have put behind them forever you know and it's just it's it's unconscionable to them that this political philosophy could stage a return. Because they think it's naive it's not naive, to allow it's, it's capitalism foolish, yeah. to
0: be unleashed.
1: Because yeah. it gives oh, rise oh, to, glo- gives rise to productivity, yeah.
0: globalization will raise all boats, yes. and the world trade, will go yes, to nirvana of, of everyone having more, except it didn't exactly. work we're out livi- that way. Exactly. We're living in
1: the greatest of all so possible all worlds. We figured out, you know, there's only one way to run an economy, and we know what it is. And we've got Larry Summers here, and he'll, he'll tell you all about it. We've yeah. got Tim here. They got it's it until all welcome out. to the crash of 07-08. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, so, the, so, so that, but that, shook, that shook the faith of all sorts of people by the way. And that's, that's always what's in the background of all of these stories. That's what makes Bernie Sanders possible. That's what makes Barack Obama possible. It's also what makes Donald Trump possible to a certain degree, is, is unfulfilled hope, if you will, uh, from 2008. I mean that hope curdled. And turn so, to a kind of despair, if you ask me.
0: So, it, it's pretty clear that the Clinton-esque corporate Democrats do not want a Sanders-esque reform of the Democratic Party. They're fighting, actually, tooth and nail at every level of the party against Sanders' forces. And I must say, Sanders' forces are winning some of these battles at local yeah. levels yeah. You know, for party chairmanships and things yeah. like that. Uh, we've been doing some reporting on that. It's quite a fight taking place. Um, but is it... Is the Democratic Party, is, it, is this Sanders insurgency, Sanders challenge, um, you know, there's two sides to it. Some people are arguing that it's a real insurgency and it will be a real challenge in 2020. And it, it could do one of two things, Sanders maybe could actually win and or there will be some kind of rigging, you know, worse than what we saw the DNC do in the previous time and maybe Sanders walks. And, and maybe that creates conditions for uh, some kind of third party and or uh, some people critique Sanders as keeping people within the Democratic Party full, that yeah. now's the time to give up on the Democratic Party.
1: Yes. Well, okay. So the the you know the question is uh, uh, third parties and you know I love third parties. Like I've mentioned now 20 times, I'm from Kansas and this is a very populist state and actually uh, one of the, the the last big third party movement in American history, populism. Big third party movement in the sense that it swept the country, that it elected uh, officials at all different levels. Uh, they did run presidential candidates, but that was an afterthought. It was mainly a, a more local state level thing. And um, populism was big there. and. That is the case all through the 19th century, by the way. If you go back and look at American uh, political wars in the 19th century, whenever the two main parties would get too close to each other, you'd have a third party challenge. So uh, on the issue of slavery, the Democrats and the Whigs at the time had uh, basically agreed among themselves not to debate this issue openly. And what happens, you have the Republican Party that rises up and says, no, this is the main issue before us and we have to debate it. And the Whigs in that case crumbled and fell apart and were replaced by the Republicans. And then you have, at the end of the 19th century, the two parties refusing to debate growing inequality, industrialization, what's happening as we become this industrial uh, economy and it's leaving all these people behind and it's destroying these other people and you've got enormous labor protests and farmer protests and all kinds of this is the great age of monopoly and the two parties refuse to debate it and you have a third party that rises up populism and in this case they were absorbed by the Democratic Party William Jennings Bryan and all that stuff and here's what's fascinating after populism by the way this is so what I'm describing before I go on into what 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 happened to populism. This is an important feature of the two party system that when the two party, you, know, you understand in game theory, it, 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 two part, the two parties coming together and deciding to have a consensus and not to debate certain things, this is going to happen. And so you need this uh, outside competition to keep things honest. This is an important element is that you have to be able to form third parties and challenge these two guys when they do this uh, because they're going to do it. And they're doing it right now. I mean, up until, uh, up until this year, all of the, like, say, uh, the issue of trade and globalization, the two parties would, everybody in charge in Washington, whether it's Bill Clinton or whether it's Barack Obama or whether it's George W. Bush or whether it's Ronald Reagan, they all think these trade deals are great. And they, still, they all agree on. And those. they still all agree on yeah. most, most of the foreign and, policy and positions. You, and and this, this is by the way. And this is a cons, and they, you could say that this is the same on uh, budgetary issues about social security. There's all all sorts of issues where there's this consensus between the two parties in Washington D.C. that the general public of this country does not agree with. There's a whole bunch of these things, a lot of foreign policy stuff, where the two parties are in agreement and the public doesn't, you know, doesn't agree at all. But they keep this consensus by agreeing with each other within Washington, D.C. How do you smash that? Well, in the 19th century, you had third parties. Unfortunately, after populism died down, almost every state in America passed laws uh, forbidding the various electoral techniques that the populists used and that other third-party movements For example? Were, it's called fusion. It was a technique they used to use at the state level in order to win elections. Uh, so in the South, they would align with the Republican Party. In the South in the 1890s was a uh, not very big, but there were there were still a lot of people that voted Republican in the South back then. And in the North, in a place like Kansas, they aligned with the Democratic Party and they would cross endorse each other's candidates, and they would win this way. And um, that's illegal now. <laughs> There's no good reason for it to be illegal, it's just the two parties, they never want that to happen again. They never want someone to be able to build a third party in this way. And that's how third parties used to always be built back then, and that's, you can't do that now. And that makes it, as a result, it's extremely difficult to build a third party. You can run a candidate for president, like a Ross Perot or a Ralph Nader or something like that. but. To build a real third-party challenge in every state, you know, all over the country, uh, uh, you know, building local power, uh, electing uh, members of Congress, governors, that kind of thing, that's pretty much impossible.
0: And so, what that leaves us with is that. Well, let me let me just give some of the argument that the that the internet and Sanders' ability to raise money this way and this kind of explosion of a mass movement around Sanders, yeah. that. That's something new, and that, is. and that could create the conditions for something like yeah, this.
1: Yeah, I mean, and things, things change, and I would love to see that happen because, as I said, when you have a situation like you've had for the last 20 years where the two parties are in agreement on this whole range of issues and are, and are, and are keeping the public from expressing their will on these things, you need third parties to rise up and challenge them. Uh, by the way, this is one of the secrets of Trump's success, is that he did... Shatter the consensus on the trade issue, uh, and if you ask me, as I mentioned now already, that's one of the most important factors in getting him elected. He also threatened a third party, did he? Yeah, that's well, right. More he more did. Or less, I forgot. Yeah, about more or less. That. That's right. That's right. By the way, the Republican primaries were a lot of fun in 2016. That was kind of a, kind of fun to watch. Remember how much money Jeb Bush spent trying to beat Donald Trump, and then. I
0: mean, the problem in 2020 is going to be—it's going to be back to the Trump scenario, except I think it could, be in a, in a sense, even worse. In, se- in fact, because I think—I mean, just my personal speculation—I think it's going to be Pence in 2020, not yeah. Trump. And you're dealing with a full-blown. Or a it full could be Cruz, or it could be. Uh, I could be, but I'm guessing Pence in a full-blown, far more efficient, let—not clown-like—and yeah. and actually more dangerous. Yes. And that's going to be difficult when you're trying to. Propose any idea of a third party, because then you're going to get back to the scenario we just saw.
1: By the way, this is something Democrats need to think about uh, that I I tried to that I've been trying to bring to people's attention uh, so far in vain, which is that Trump Trump is a is is a buffoon, and Trump may be done for, and Trump may get impeached, and Trump may not run for re-election or whatever. Trumpism is here to stay, and Trumpism. I mean, Trump is in some ways uh, uh, the worst bearer of it. He's, he's a terrible politician. I mean, he's, he's, his, public, his rallies, he's pr- a pretty good speaker, uh, and, he, and I guess a lot of people found him inspiring. But the idea of running for president, going down the list of ethnic groups and insulting them each in turn, that's idiotic. You know, picking a fight with, with Miss America or whoever she was, you know, uh, boasting about how he gropes, Women, this is insane. He gave the Democrats so many gifts, you know. The next Trump, the next person to carry the banner of Trumpism won't make these mistakes. I'm telling you, it'll be someone like Pence, who's a professional, or someone like um, Ted Cruz, or or who's the senator from Florida who ran last? Rubio. Yeah, Marco Rubio. These are guys that know what they're doing. And they will use Trump's appeal, this kind of national populist, national economic, you know, economic nationalism, they'll use that appeal, but they won't piss people off. And that's going to be hard to stop.
0: Yeah, we, we interviewed uh, a guy who voted for Trump in Dundalk, just outside of Baltimore. And uh, he was saying, uh, we asked him, why'd you vote for Trump? And he says, uh, well, I know he's a liar. I know he's a clown. Uh, what is it? And I voted for him anyway. Now what does that tell you about what I think of the whole political class? Exactly. Yeah. All right. We're going to c- continue this series of interviews with Thomas Frank, so please look out for them on Reality Asserts Itself on The Real News Network. <laughs>